Israelites are having a tough time trusting God in the wilderness. But today he shows his power once again, as water comes from the most unlikely place. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Psalm 95, verses 7 through 9. God has been testing his people. He's proving out the faith that is there. He's fishing out the areas of unbelief and he's showing himself faithful to provide over and over again. First, he provided deliverance from the Egyptian slavery through the ten plagues followed by the decisive battle against the chariots at the sea. Next, after leading Israel to the bitter water, he miraculously provided the log that made the water sweet and potable. And finally, we saw God lead the people to an oasis at Elam, where he provided abundant water from the natural springs. But that isn't all. God also provided quail for Israel every evening, and the manna, what is it, bread from heaven every morning. Remember, God said that the manna would be available six days of the week, with double on the sixth day, so that all the people could rest from collecting and working on the seventh day of the week. The people were to have a Sabbath rest. In almost all these aspects of provision, God was testing his people. He was proving out their faith and continuing to give evidences that their faith would not be misplaced if it was placed in Him. Yet so far, in almost every case, they haven't initially passed their tests of faith. They've complained, they've grumbled and doubted, with Moses being the main target of their vocal discontent. Yet their murmuring isn't truly against Moses. It's against the God leading them by the pillars of cloud and fire leading them in this wilderness wandering that won't seem to end. Well, the discontentment of the people soon reaches a fever pitch, so much so that they begin to threaten the life of Moses. If that weren't enough, they turn the testing around and attempt to test the God who has delivered them from all of their trouble. Let's read, beginning in Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, if you're like me, you may say to yourself, wait a minute, didn't these people just complain about bitter water? Didn't God just provide the sweet water for them with the log? How can they turn around and complain so soon after that miraculous provision? It's not hard to imagine that Moses was thinking the same thing. Soon he goes to the Lord. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? 
they are almost ready to stone me and kill me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Notice here God's solution involves a reminder of the plagues upon Egypt. God says that Moses is to use the staff that made the Nile bloody, and that he should strike the rock with that same staff. As soon as he strikes it, water will flow from it, and the people will drink. God had made an example out of the Egyptians, and he's subtly saying here that people are not exempt from God's judgments if they continue to rebel. Remember, when he provided them water for the first time, he said, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. God does not like being put to the test. But even with this unwise grumbling of the people of Israel, He provides. Next we see Moses strike the rock and name the place where all this occurs. It says this, And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Moses names this place with two names. Massah, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling. This was a place to be remembered for generations to come because of the behavior of the Israelites. They shouldn't have complained, and they shouldn't have tested God. Instead, they simply should have asked God for provision, which He would have graciously granted. Their strife and violence toward Moses was akin to strife and violence toward the God that delivered them from their slavery. And this God would deliver them again, right here where they complain and test Him. Because soon, we see a nation come into the wilderness in an attempt to snuff out Israel before they come into the land of Canaan. Perhaps this nation had learned of their escape from Egypt without provision and defenses. They may have thought that defeating and plundering the Israelites for the Egyptian gold that they had fled with would be a lucrative endeavor. But this nation, identified as Amalek or the Amalekites, would quickly get in over their head. Let's read the account of this battle, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. This battle seems to have been fought not among the soldiers in the valley, but on a different plane altogether. After commissioning his assistant Joshua, Moses goes up on a hill and apparently begins to pray to God with his hands lifted. So long as his hands stay aloft, Israel succeeds. But when Moses lowers his hands, the Amalekites succeed. It's as if God is using this battle as a picture of dependence. 
So long as God is consistently appealed to for victory in battle, he provides victory. But absent prayer means defeat in battle. God had provided for the people's needs, and here he was proving that he could provide victory over their enemies as well. Joshua came to defeat these forces of Amalek due to God's apparent intervention in the battle. But God would not forget this new enemy of the Israelites. Listen to what God says about Amalek. This will be very important later on in the Bible story. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God will have his vengeance for this surprise attack on his people Israel, and he has promised that he will completely wipe out the nation of Amalek. No matter how long it takes, the Amalekites will be totally destroyed. God has not only won the battle, but he will win the war. Now, after this battle, we come to a similar scene to one that we have seen before. Do you remember when a man and his forces won a decisive battle against aggressors, who was then greeted by a non-Israelite priest who blessed God and ate bread with him? If you're thinking of Abraham defeating the invading armies before eating with that priest king Melchizedek, you'd be right. And soon we see a very similar greeting from a different non-Israelite priest as Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to greet Moses after the battle with Amalek and after the great deliverance from the Egyptians. Listen to what Jethro says when he hears the news of Yahweh's deliverance of the nation. Jethro says, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Yet another priest, with no known historical connection to Israel, speaks of the greatness of God and his power in delivering the people from their bondage. This priest then makes a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. It's as though he himself were delivered, even though he was in Midian the whole time. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, sees the greatness of Yahweh, even as the people of Israel grumble against him. Since the Passover, the Bible doesn't record any offerings or sacrifices completed by the Israelites up to this point. Despite the presence of livestock available for sacrifices, not a single one was apparently given. But this man, Jethro, external to Israel, has sense enough to honor God for his great deliverance. Soon after the Israelites have tested God, Jethro the priest honors him. These Israelites just don't seem to get it. What other signs does God need to provide for them? Did the log not work? Did the oasis not work? Do the pillars of cloud and fire not work? Did the water from the rock not work? Does the success against Amalek not work? What more can God do for them? Well, next time, we'll see God's next move as he leads the people back to the mountain where it all started. Back to the place where he appeared to Moses in a little burning bush. But this time, he won't simply set a bush on fire. 
he'll set the mountain on fire as he comes to speak to his people. Join us next time as the people come to Mount Sinai, the mountain that shapes all of human history, because it's on that mountain that God gives new commandments, 10 commandments. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023